Under COVID-19, we've been going back and forth. They closed up the restaurants, and then they said you could do takeout. And then they reopened and said, well, you can, um, you can do outdoor dining. And uh, then they said you can come back inside. Now they're back at outdoor dining again. Who knows where they're going to go with this, this whole thing. But when things were normal, everybody ate inside. And a family, if you would, they took their, they went out for lunch, kind of like at a Denny's or somewhere like that, or El Torito, a place like that. They went out for lunch, and they decided to order dessert with their lunch. And uh, the waitress bought the youngest son, who was about five years old, and she brought him a, a slice of pie and some ice cream with him. Of course, like every little child, he just loved the ice cream and started digging to the ice cream there. And as he did so, he looked up at the waitress as she was distributing the the uh, pie and ice cream to the other members of the family, she said, and he looked at her and he says, Ma'am, thank you. I sure appreciate that. Thank you. And she smiled and looked at him and she said, You know, uh, I love to hear thank you. You're one of the few people that tell me that, but I sure love to hear thank you. And as he put another scoop of ice cream to his mouth, he said, Ma'am, I'll say it again if you'll bring me another scoop of ice cream. That would work very well there, amen. And I think thank you is one of those words that we need to say over and over and over again. I'll share a story. I, Last week I did my honey-do list for my wife and, and uh, on Saturday, and we, we had this on Friday or Saturday evening or something like that. And uh, so she, she got me something. She said, here, take this coupon and take care of this and so forth there. But anyway, it's one of those complicated things, and I'm going to say the name of the store, but it's one of those things where, you know, in order to get the discount, you have to have a coupon or you've got to load it on an app and all this kind of stuff there. I thought, man, this is so complicated just to get a you know, few cents off this thing here. But anyway, they didn't give the discount. I went back home, looked at the receipt, didn't give it. So we can't, went back there together and took care of it. But as we did so, I, I, I had a clerk that couldn't help us, and this lady saw us standing there, and you know, I just had a good, good spirit about it. She says, uh, hey, guys, can I help you? And I said, yeah, ma- ma'am, if you can, it'd be great. And she just had finished checking out somebody, and we went over there and uh, showed it to her, and she just kind of overrode the whole system, put her key inside the register, and overrode it, got all the, the whole thing fixed up there. And I said, ma'am, what's your name? And she told me your name. I said, you know, thank you very much. I appreciate what you did there. I said, I feel like it was an inconvenience to you. And all she says, no, I'll thank you very much for telling me thank you. You know, thank you is one of the, those two words that we just don't say enough of. Charles Dickens said this one time. He said that, you know, for Thanksgiving, he says, you know, we have it all, op- we have it all backwards here in America. He says, instead of having Thanksgiving Day uh, uh, just once a year, we should have it 364 days out of the year. And then that one day, that just one day out of the year, we spend that day just complaining. And I think he has a good point there because we probably spend most of our time complaining, grumbling, and being critical, whatever it may be there, instead of being thankful to God. Notice in our passage tonight as we, we get into our Thanksgiving weekend, we see some very interesting things. In our passage this evening, we see some lepers. Now, leprosy at that time was a disease that, that was incurable. Today, they have the ability to cure it. But back in that time, it was a death sentence. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, it was a death sentence. You went out and belonged to a certain colony. That's why when we read this passage here, we read about these men that were, ten men that were grouped together. Nine of them were Jews and one was a Samaritan. But, you know, ethnicity had nothing to do with it. They were all bound together by the same disease and problem. And they stayed together because they basically could not, they could not associate with anybody other than lepers. And as you read your Bible through, you notice there's some very famous lepers in the Bible. Uh, Miriam was turned into a leper for seven days for criticizing her brother Moses. King Uzziah was turned into a leper and remained that way. And the Bible says he lived in a several house, which means he basically lived, he lived in, he couldn't live in the, the palace anymore, uh, David's palace. He basically had to live in a, in a separate house, but he had to be basically quarantined off from everybody else because of his contagiousness. And, and that happened to him because he decided to usurp authority from the high priest and doing the work of the high priest. Naaman of Syria is perhaps the most famous 
uh, leper in the Old Testament. Uh, he was a man that Elisha healed, uh, or God used Elisha to heal him by telling him to go to the Jordan River and dipping himself seven times into the river. And there was nothing about the river in itself that healed the man. It was the power of God. And then we think about Gehazi, the servant Elisha, who was turned into a leper for falling after Naaman for greed. And then we read later on in the New Testament about a man by the name of Simon the leper. We don't, we're not told about his actual healing, but we know that he was healed. Because Simon the leper opened his home up to Jesus, at least on more, more than one occasion, to invite him over for dinner and for meals. And it was there at the home of Simon the leper that Mary Bethany came and opened the alabaster box and poured out the ointment on the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we look at the New Testament, perhaps the most famous of all the leper stories we have, and they're true stories, is this one right here in Luke chapter 17. So we see a story involving lepers, which is very interesting. Lepers who were diseased, lepers who were unclean, uh, lepers who basically were ostracized from society, lepers who were men that basically had a death sentence on their life. We see lepers. Our passage also shows us something else. We see in verse 16 that one of these men was a Samaritan. We're looking at a Samaritan. Samaritans were half-Jews. Samaritans were a result of the Assyrians intermarrying with the Jewish people back in the Old Testament. Jews would not accept a Samaritan as a Jew, so they were considered ostracized from the Jews. Hatred and disrespect characterized the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. Yet, we know about some famous Samaritans in the Bible. Uh, most famous of all is probably the lady in, in John chapter 4, the lady at the well there at, Sych- at Sychar where, where uh, Jesus went through that area there. And as he, as, as he was there, he ministered to her at Jacob's well. And that when, woman came to know Jesus Christ, your Savior. And Christ being there bypassed all the racial barrier issues that were between Samaritans and Jews. And actually stayed several more days. And because of her testimony and her salvation, many, many of the men there in, in that city of Sychar came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, we have the story there of Christ talking about a man that was beaten up on the side of the road and how a priest and a Levite went on the other side of the road and forsook him. And yet the Samaritan came by, who we know is a good Samaritan. He came by to help this badly beaten man. And he poured oil and wine into this man's wounds and he bound him up and he put him on his beast and carried him all the way down into town. And as he got him into town, he paid the fare for this man to stay for a minimum of two days or three days at, at the hotel. And he told the innkeeper, he said, if there's any more needs that you have to help this man recuperate, let me know. When I'm back here, I will pay for it. We have the story there in Acts chapter 8 about the man by the name of Philip, one of the apostles who went to Samaria, and perhaps could have been this very same area where the lady, the woman at the well, uh, received Christ as her Savior, and revival happened there, and we're not really sure, but Philip was there and had a great campaign, and a church was started there in Samaria, and we read about that great thing there. But then we find this one man here, this one man here in Luke, the second of two men here in the Gospel of Luke, who we're told was a Samaritan. Ten lepers. Ten lepers. They spent their time together. They hung out together. They ate together. They slept in the same the same area together. I mean, they couldn't go anywhere except being together, clustered together. And whenever they came across somebody, a Jewish law required they had to be a minimum of 50 yards distance from other people. You think social distancing six feet is bad. Consider social distancing 50 yards. Ten men. And only one came back and told Jesus, thank you. What a sad statistic. One out of ten. Only one came back to say thank you. Tonight I want us to notice from this passage of Scripture the importance of having the attitude of gratitude. Notice number one, would you notice this tonight? We see the traits in thanksgiving. The traits in thanksgiving. Notice verse 16 again. The Bible says this man 
fell down on his face at his feet, that's at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. The word for thanks or thanksgiving, its root word, is the same word we get our word grace from. It's the word charis. Thankfulness, thanksgiving, thanks is an outflow, it's an outpouring of the grace of God at work in your heart and mind. It's a disposition of grace. It's an indicator of God's grace doing a marvelous work in our heart. It's the same as the word grace, really, if you use it, charis, grace, thanksgiving. Now notice this, when we give thanks, we are doing the will of God. That bare minimum, when we think about our life, when we give thanks, we are doing the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. A pastor went to make a house visit to one of his, his uh, congregation, and the mother said, the Pastor, if you don't mind, I want to take care of some things. Would you help my son get up, my little six-year-old boy, get to bed and get to sleep, and maybe talk to them a little bit and counsel with them and try to encourage them. And I understand that sometimes parents just want the pastor to talk to their kids, kind of set them straight, things like that there. And so the, the boy got inside of his bed, and the pastor sat right on the edge of the, of the bed there at the, at the end of it. And he said, as he said this question, he said, So, your mother says your prayers for you each night. Is that true? And he said, Yes, my mother does. And he says, What does your mother pray for? To which the little boy said, she said He said, She looks up and says, Thank God he's in bed right now. And I think, you know, we think about giving thanks and everything. The Bible says we're to give thanks and everything. Now listen to this tonight. Have you ever made this statement... I have a lot of things to be thankful for. You ever make that statement? You make that statement tonight? The truth is, we have more than a lot of things to be thankful for. The Bible says we're to be thankful for in, in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice, in everything, not just for everything. In sickness and in good health. In fullness and in emptiness. In sorrow and in happiness. In good times and bad times where there's much and where there's little, in church and for church, in praise and in criticism. You see, tonight, as we think about praise and we think about thanksgiving and everything, we're to give thanks for this is the will of God. There's the outflow of grace. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to show you something very, very, uh, very helpful to you next time you read through 1 Peter. Now, notice 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. I want you to see this outflow of grace in, in here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. I want you to circle some words and give you some thoughts here tonight. Several years ago, maybe about 20 years ago, I was, I was teaching this through an adult Bible class, and I came across, and boy, it transformed my life in just understanding this. First Peter chapter 2, the context is dealing with submission in all facets of life and suffering, because that's the theme about First Peter, it's about suffering. And so Peter says this in verse 19 of chapter 2, For this is thankworthy, and circle the word thankworthy, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now, underline, underline or circle two words, thankworthy and acceptable. The King James Version translators translated the word, it's the same word in the Greek. And the word in the Greek is that word charis that I just spoke about. It's the word grace. 
they translated the word grace to the word thankworthy and acceptable. So notice this if you read it tonight. It literally is saying this, For this is the grace of God working in you, if a man for conscience towards God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. You may, it may be an injustice. You may be the person who's being wronged. You may be the person that needs to have something rectified. The Bible says this is the grace of God if a man for conscience towards God endures grief. The, the Lord led the King James translators to use the word thankworthy because that's what charis is. That's what the outflow of grace is in our life, that this is thankworthy. In verse 20, what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? Now, he's saying here this. He says, now, is it just glorious to be patient during times of tribulation? He says, I think it's more than that. He says, listen to this, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. He says, now, when you take it patiently by, by God working you, this is acceptable with God, or if you would, this is thankworthy, or this is the grace of God working in your heart. You see, this evening, when we think about grace, the traits of grace, it is the will of God that we give thanks. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not for everything, not for a few things, in everything we're to give thanks. Notice, secondly, when we give thanks, we are promoting a spirit of unity in the church. Now, it ought to be that we, just as a church family, and I know we got COVID right now, we ought to just have the spirit of thanksgiving. Just every now and then, a text message or an email, whatever there, or just go and say thank you very much, and just be just overflowing with thankfulness for what God is doing in our life. Listen to what Colossians 3.15 says. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body, and then notice this, and be thankful. I think we have to remind ourselves, we ought to be, as we heard tonight, we ought to be thankful for our church. And I'm not saying we're not. I'm just saying we ought to be thankful for our church. We ought to be thankful for the preaching of God's Word. We ought to be thankful for our facilities. We ought to be thankful for the technology and our capability for that. We ought to be thankful we have the ability to purchase that technology. I know of a lot of churches that are struggling right now. They don't have the technology. In fact, as far as live streams concerned, some of them are still back five, seven years ago, don't have the technology or means, and, and their members are not doing very well. I'm thankful tonight that our members have persevered through COVID-19, and when, the, when things were open, there were many of the people coming back to church during that time, and people still watching my live stream. I'm thankful that there are a good number of our people have not skipped a beat. They still have a heart for ministry. They have a desire to do something for God. They're excited about 2021 and what God's going to do. I'm very thankful for that. But we must understand tonight that one of the healthiest things to do for a church is to have a spirit of thankfulness. It promotes a spirit of unity. It helps us to remind ourselves in the perspective that we don't have to be, you know, be stressed out about everything and we can just give glory to God and thank God for things that happen and, and we can participate and do our part there and not get so professional about things that we get bent out of shape and have a bad attitude about that. So when we, when we give thanks, we're promoting a spirit of unity in the church. Here's the third thing. We're to give thanks, listen to this, we're to give thanks always for all things. A man went up to a 98-year-old lady and said, What are you thankful for, ma'am? And she said this, I only have two teeth, and I'm thankful that they both can meet when I eat. Now, that's being thankful, amen? Being thankful always for all things. Listen to Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul spoke that from experience. He got beaten up. He got placed in the stocks. He had the scars to prove it. He'd been beaten with stripes. They put him in a Philippian jail. And at midnight of all times, the Bible says he and Silas, they prayed and praised God. They sang in jail there. 
they had a, they had a wonderful time giving glory to God. I read the story about a um, a man who was a leper in in the country of India, and um, he got converted. He came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and uh, the person who had been mentoring him or discipled him. Uh, heard him pray this prayer one time. He prayed this prayer. It went like this. He said, I thank God that he laid leprosy on me because of the lepers I've been able to lead to Christ. What a great thought. I'm thankful that I'm a leper and I have leprosy because of the lepers I've been able to lead to Christ. Um, several of our, our pastor friends in the Philippines have been laboring night and day for the last two weeks here. Uh, s- severe typhoons came in devastated several areas and honestly the pastor i'm thinking of right now they they just basically ran out of funds they just didn't have anything to do and they had all these people there and, and uh we we've had opportunity to be in that area of bulacan outside of there where we've been able to preach and do things and seeing god work and things are flooded and you know several of our church members were telling me if some of their relatives are basically sleeping on top of their roofs because their houses are flooded out and things like that just just you know very 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 difficult situation but uh, we're very thankful. We just got a, a, you know, a video and some things, some pictures that were sent of just some relief we were able to help them with. And just, just you know, hearts were overflowing looking at uh, how they just were able to just take these meager funds and uh, basically to put together sacks of bags of rice and some salted eggs and people lining up, as many as 200, 300 families that are lining up, they're able to distribute this there. And to see the smile on the faces of these people, and the smile on the face of the pastors and the church members of that church as they're ministering to them. You know, it reminded me that we're to give thanks always for all things. In spite of difficulty, we're to give thanks to God for every situation. You know, I, when we began COVID-19, I, I think I've said this in several sermons here, but I was really, really just wrestling with God. What are we going to do in terms of reaching people the gospel? How, God, are you going to do things? And, and, you know, and I pray every week, I, almost every day, I say, Lord, now, I'm not sure how it's all going to work out here because I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to get into somebody's space and get them all uh, you know, paranoid and scared if, you know, that, and trying to reach them for Christ that they're going to catch something from me or whatever. But, it's, you know, but you know, I just said, Lord, yeah, I, want to be, I want to be sensitive to people's needs, but hardly a week doesn't go by that we don't get an opportunity, at least I don't personally, to get to witness to somebody, tell them about the Lord. I got one today and I'm going to work on tonight and between tonight and, and uh, later this week here. And, and just thank God for those opportunities there. And, you know, just, and there, I've found myself many times early in the morning or late at night just saying, Lord, I don't, I don't really understand all this, but I thank you for COVID-19 that has given us an opportunity to minister in ways that we could not before, and it's made us more thankful for the church, and made us more thankful for just the things we've had to adopt and do, to, and reaching people, so we're thankful for that. But I just want to say tonight that there are the traits of thanksgiving, and one of those greatest traits is that in everything give thanks, and we're to give thanks always for all things. Notice the second thing tonight. Go back to our passage of Scripture. Secondly, what you notice tonight, the transgression about thanksgiving, towards thanksgiving. The transgression or the sin towards thanksgiving. Only one of the ten men that were cleansed came back and gave thanks. Now Jesus knew this was going to happen. I want you to understand, get, just catch, catch what's going on here. Look at verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, and you have to go back to Leviticus to appreciate this, and to read how in Leviticus it gave a description of how the color of the skin would change and how you would determine how the priest would look at the individual to determine the person was cured of leprosy. And normally the person would have to be shut up for several days, uh, kind of on a quarantine basis, before they could show themselves. This man was completely healed. You might almost say the description like Naaman, his skin became like the skin of a little baby. 
And this man saw that the scaling, the, the decaying of his flesh, the impact it had, the, 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 the leprosy he had on his nervous system, I mean, all the things that were falling apart in his body, he saw that he was healed. Everything that gave indication that there was corruption in his body was healed. When he saw he was healed, immediately, the Bible says in verse 15, he turned back, he made a, he made a 180 turnaround. And with a loud voice, if you can imagine this, with a loud voice, I mean, almost like saying, man, praise God, thank the Lord. You know, he, with a loud voice, he fell on his face, he glorified God, the Bible says, and he gave thanks to Jesus, and it was very noticeable that this man was a Samaritan. Now, we're wearing face coverings and things like that. You can imagine this man, when he saw he was healed, he took off his face covering, he took off the excess clothing, he took off all the bandages, everything gave indication that he didn't have any bald spots, he didn't have scaling skin, he didn't have any of the indications of the discoloration that was associated with leprosy. This man was healed, and when he saw that, he knew that Jesus was just more than a rabbi. He knew that Jesus was more than just passing through. He came to the realization that Jesus Christ, God, God's Son, the Creator of all the universe, the Master of all things, the God who's in control of all things. He came by and made a personal visit to that man's village. And even though that man was 50 yards away when he asked Jesus to heal him, that man was healed. And when he saw that, he immediately realized, there's nothing that's going to keep me from coming to Jesus. I don't have anything to give to him, but he has everything to give to me. By the way, that's how it works. He has everything to give to you. And he came to Jesus, and he fell on his face. The Bible says, at his feet. So you can imagine this man. He's at least 50, maybe 60 yards away. Man, he runs over to Jesus, and he's shouting, and he's praising God. And he falls on his face before Jesus, and he says, thank you, Lord. Well, Jesus sees all that. Jesus is getting glory. But then notice Jesus' response in verse 17. Were there not ten cleansed? And when he said that, that was said publicly and out loud. The ten were nowhere in sight. I want you to understand that. They were nowhere in sight. And if they were in sight, which I don't think they were, because they had other plans, they were so far away, no one could run after to get them. No one would dare go after them. He said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where are the nine? And Jesus was pointing out to everybody that was there of the problem of ingratitude, of unthankfulness, ungratefulness. Andrew Carnegie was a multi-multi-millionaire back in the time. He'd probably be among the ten richest men in the world today. Basically, you know, we redid the numbers. He gave $1 million to one of his relatives. And after Carnegie passed away, it was determined that he had also given $365 million away to public charities. He did so much money, he just gave it away. He gave $365 million to public charities. But back in the day when a million dollars went very far, uh, you know, for this man, this man here, he got a million. He got upset. And he publicly started criticizing Andrew Carnegie, his uncle, for just giving one measly million. He never said thank you. Andrew Lebowitz was a criminal lawyer and also a judge. And he was such a good criminal lawyer, the records say that he helped keep 78 men from going, from dying in the electrician. You imagine that. Seven, he was so good, he kept 78 men from dying in electric chair. Not one of them went back and told Samuel Lebowitz, thank you for what's going on. You see, tonight, a spirit of ingratitude reflects a person who has an entitlement mindset. A spirit of ingratitude reflects someone 
who might be embittered in their attitude. A spirit of ingratitude reflects someone who's been enraged and they just feel like everyone's out to get them or the system's against them. So they don't feel there's a need to say thank you. Ingratitude is a disgrace to the ministry. Nobody serving in the ministry should have an unthankful attitude. Being in the ministry, you ought to be, you ought to be a person who's the most thankful in praising God. Ingratitude is a slap in the face and an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ingratitude is a cancer that consumes your soul life. In 1860... A young man by the name of Edward Spencer, who was part of a life-saving team, in 1860, a ship ran aground there in Lake Michigan. Have you ever been there to Chicago, Lake Michigan? That's very cold water there. And uh, Spencer, Edward Spencer was out there, and uh, he, he heard about this, and so he just kind of just took off his shoes and got down to whatever he could, and he just swam out of the water because he knew there were people there that needed to be helped. And he went out there, and he swam out there, rescued one passenger, brought him back to shore, went back out there again, brought another passenger back to shore. He did this, he did this in the, in, with this frigidly cold waters. He rescued 17 people from dying and drowning there out in the waters, if you can imagine. Frigid waters out there, and whatever time it took for him to swim the distance, come back, swim the distance, and come back. As a result of that process, the man's health was permanently damaged in many, many ways. He, he himself had just... Had, had just pushed himself beyond the point of exhaustion. His health was permanently damaged. He could no longer swim and do things like that. And some years later at his funeral, it was determined that not one of the people he rescued ever came back to thank him. Were there not ten cleanse? Where are the nine? Gratitude depicts that we are takers and not givers. Gratitude is a person who their philosophy is it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. Ingratitude is selfishness wrapped up in misery. Gratitude is an attitude wrapped up in itself that sees nothing good from anyone else. Can you imagine these men? They're just going about their daily business. They go out between Samaria and Galilee. Ten men. They're bonded together by a common disease. They're out there wandering around. There's this crowd following Jesus. They start taking note. They heard about Jesus. And they see Jesus there from 50 yards away because they had to be a distance. They cry out. The Bible says they were at a distance. They were far off. They cried out and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I mean, that's all they could do. They, know they, were, they knew they were in a pitiful condition. They knew that their state was incurable by, as far as medical science was concerned. They knew they needed help. They knew that oh, nobody else could help them. They knew there was no cure. They knew there was no doctor. They knew there was no medicine. They knew there was no biotech company working on a cure for leprosy. They knew they were stuck. They knew that their fate was they would only get worse and eventually die. And so they cried out with their voices in unison, Jesus, Master, help us, have mercy on us. And they cried out together. And Jesus, without missing a beat, he just, he, he just, he, uh, he told these, these men these words in verse 14. He looked at them and he said, go show yourselves unto the priest. That's all he said. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. You just go turn around, go to the nearest synagogue, go see the priest and present yourself. He was doing everything in accordance with the Levitical law that we find in the book of, uh, book of Leviticus there. He told them everything he was supposed to do. And as they turned around, they all noticed that they were cleansed, but only one came back. One out of ten. Nine went on. And the Bible says the one that went, it's called him a stranger here. You know, it's kind of interesting. Only one out of ten, he was strange. He was unusual. And maybe those nine depicted what was going on. What's even more unusual is that the nine that were healed were Jews, and the, one, the nine that never came back were Jews, and the one that did come back was the Samaritan. Perhaps the least likely person that should have came back to tell Jesus thank you was the Samaritan. But he was thankful above all the others, and he came and gave glory to God. A Samaritan, one that was called a 
stranger there. Now, when you think about that, we think about the fact that ingratitude, ingratitude reflects poor character, a poor Christianity on behalf of that person there. Men went through school, did very well, and eventually went through medical school, did his residency and all that. Became a practicing medical doctor. The height of his success, while he was in his 30s, he started thinking about, man, I've been so blessed. And he started thinking about all the people that had made a contribution to his life. And one person in particular, an elementary school teacher, who made the classroom environment fun and made it intriguing and got students interested and stretched them beyond their potential and helped them to see they had potential. He remembered this teacher. He remembered her smile. He remembered how she pushed him. He remembered how she would encourage him. He remembered how she motivated him. He remembered all those things. And he looked up where she was at. He found out where she was living. She was a much older lady and had retired many years before. And he wrote her a long letter by hand telling her, thank you very much for investing in his life and for all that she did. And he, he, and he had very vivid memories of all the things she did to help encourage him. The, the, those times when he stayed after school and he came early to school and she was there and she helped encourage him. He wrote her a letter, told her all these different things he remembered her doing. And and he, put it, he, he signed a letter, put his return address and a phone number on there, and he basically he, he, you know, folded it up, put it in the envelope, put a stamp on the envelope, and mailed it to her. Well, the lady, the lady received the letter, she read it, tears came to her eye, and she wrote this reply to him. She, this is what she said. She wrote a reply to this doctor, and she says, I want you to know what your note meant to me. I am an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seeming like the last leaf on the tree. You will be interested to know that I taught school for 50 years and yours is the first letter of appreciation I have ever received. It came on a cold blue morning and cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. You see, tonight, you don't know if your thank you note might keep somebody from committing suicide. You don't know if your thank you might keep somebody from from quitting, from running the race. You don't know if your thank, your thank you note or your thank you to somebody might just encourage them to go the extra mile. You just don't know how your thank, your thank you might help somebody to go, go that extra mile and do something more for the Lord. You don't know that young person that you might encourage through a thank you. Maybe that young person, God might use them in the ministry one day. You don't know, but that thank you means all the world to somebody. It might mean for someone who's a widow, for someone who's a single parent, just knowing that somebody cared and that somebody noticed. You don't know for some Somebody who may be very shy and finds it very difficult serving as an usher, serving on AV, serving in the nursery, serving in the choir, serving in some capacity. You don't know how that thank you might make all the world to them. You don't know what people go through, and I don't know what they go through. Some people go home and they come they home to a very, a very, uh, very uh, probably discouraging situation, a hard situation, and to come to church and knowing that somebody could say hi to them and greet them without any pretension and to say thank you for doing something. I mean, that, that means the world to people. And I'm just saying tonight, what a difference it means to say thank you, to let people know that you're grateful for what they've done. We see tonight the traits in Thanksgiving. We see tonight the transgression towards Thanksgiving. But as we close tonight, I want you to see one more thing. Would you scroll down with me? Notice verses 18 and 19. Notice the transformation from Thanksgiving. After this man gave glory to God, Jesus said in verse 18, there are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. Now that spoke volumes to me, first of all, because I thought about this. For everything God does for us, and by the way, God does everything for us, amen? For everything God does for us, 
the response we should have is to turn back and give glory to God. To thank Him. I mean, God help us if we're at this place right now, we just take everything for granted. You know, we, we, we got this notice today that um, because of the surge right now in COVID, positive COVID-19 cases here in Alameda County, they may put the county under a different, different kind of um, classification, uh, emergency something there, uh, emergency surge or something like that. And we're trying to guess what that means. But we know just from just the, his, the history of this thing, it may not be very good. But how would you feel if we went back, if the county goes back and shuts everything down, reclassifies essential, non-essential, and puts us back in a shutdown mode? How would you feel that we are doing live stream, not for four weeks, not for three weeks, but another four months, another year? I mean, I'm just saying today, you know, are you, are you content with spiritual things going on the same way? And being hindered and hampered from advancing the cause of Christ. I'm just saying there's a lot of things we can say commentary-wise on that. But when I think about this, the Bible tells us here, you know, as we look at our life, we need to stop and just turn around and give thanks and turn around and say, thank you, Lord. We need to be very, very thankful for what we do and what we're in and what God is doing. And then Jesus said this, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. He says, you know, it seems so strange. This man is a is, is this man is not part of the Jewish clan. He's not part of the Jewish community. He's not even allowed in our, in our synagogue. And yet I told them to go to the synagogue and show themselves to priests. But before that man could even do so, he came back to say thank you. Now I'm going to tell you tonight, I said this earlier, you're going to be very strange to this world if you're one that gives thanks. You're going to be very strange to mainstream Christianity if you're one giving thanks. But you ought to give thanks. And you ought to be thankful. And you ought to praise the Lord. And what ought to characterize us is that, that grace of God, that charis flowing out of our life. And so Jesus said this in verse 19. He turned to that man and notice this phrase, so powerful. He said, arise, go thy way. Go on with life. Do more with your life than you did as a leper. Realize what God has done for you. And don't stay the same way. Don't have the same attitude. Realize God has done something for you. He says, arise, go thy way. Notice this phrase. Thy faith has made thee whole. This man put his faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say something tonight. The word whole, you might want to write this down. The word whole is an interesting word. It's the Greek word sozo. Sozo means to be redeemed or to be saved. Or to be saved. Now, the nine had external change. Now, I'm for, I'm for this. I'm for feeding people. I'm for giving them clothes. I'm for helping them out. I've helped people where I paid, where they had a, I helped a guy that got saved maybe last year that needed to get uh, a prescription filled by a non-profit here. And he ran out of money. And he called me up and he'd just gotten saved and he needed, he needed quite a bit of money there to get the prescription. He says, he says, I don't know what to do. And I just had the exact amount of money in cash in my pocket. I said, here, let me help you. So I said, I just want you to make me promise that you're not lying to me because if I find out you're lying to me, I'm going to get it back out of you. I want to make sure you're not going to buy drugs with it or something else with that there or whatever. He said, no, pastor, I'm not. I can prove it to you. I'm going to be getting on this, on one of these, these, uh, these, these shuttle buses they have for handicapped people and I'm going to go down there and take care of that. But, you know, I've done that for people. I've brought meals to people. I've done that. I remember a 
family that, that, uh, that uh, in those, back in the early days of our church that we got referred to. Very, very difficult situation. God moved in my heart, and I went by to see him, led the man to Christ, led his wife to Christ. Right after that, I went down to Costco, bought a bunch of groceries, got a box about that big, put it full with groceries, I mean, stuff that probably lasted for about a week and a half or so there, brought it by them, and I was just very thankful to do those kinds of things. I'm for all that, okay? I think you're for all that. I think our church is for them. I want to say this tonight. If all we do is take care of the outside and do something about the inside, we're not whole. And they're not whole. And this man, these nine men, they were cleansed. They got their health back. Now, that's significant. Amen? I mean, they had an irreversible, incurable disease that was made right. They were made whole. That's almost, that's equivalent today of being going through cancer treatments and the doctor saying, you are, you are now in remission. The cancer's gone. That's how you feel about it. And those men got excited. They ran off. I mean, they were no longer ostracized from society. They no longer had to band together as a clan. They now could intermingle. They could go back to their families. But they forgot about the Lord Jesus Christ. This one man came back. He said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If Jesus could cleanse me, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. If Jesus took care of my external, I've got the internal that needs to be worked on. See, that ought to be the attitude people have. The attitude should not be, if you'll take care of me, if you give me food. And I, listen tonight, I'm for when we one day will be back in this place, we're going to be able to provide meals and our, and our, and our, our kitchen will be working again and people moving there will be able to provide meals and all those kind of things. But if all people care about is the external and they're not worried about the internal, they'll never be whole. And Jesus helped this man to realize something. What Jesus Christ did for this man's life made him whole. One out of ten got saved. He was thankful that Jesus came to his village that day. He was thankful that Jesus had pity on him and healed him. When he saw what Jesus did for his physical, you know what that man did? He gave glory to God, but here's what he did. As he got on his face and he praised the Lord, he committed his entire future security into the well-being of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? He said, if Jesus could take care of me like this, I can't wait to think what he'll do for me for eternity. Now, if you're watching tonight, if you're just interested in a Jesus that can feed you, you're only interested in a Jesus that's, that's a social Jesus and a social justice Jesus and a social welfare Jesus. That's all good. But I, tell, I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is more than just a social Jesus. He's a savior Jesus. He's a great and mighty Jesus. He's a Jesus that can save your soul. He's a Jesus that can give you heaven. He's a Jesus that can take away your sins. He's a Jesus that's there for you 24-7, seven days a week and takes no days off because he's Jesus Christ. He had faith in Jesus, not for just good health. He had faith in Jesus for spiritual health. Amen? Now, a lot of you, a lot of you here in church, you've been through some health trials. A lot of you in church, you've been through some health trials. Some of you, you've gotten up in the mornings with those great uncertainties. Your mornings are tough. Your nights are long. You've bit your fingernails down to the, down to the core. You've been worried. You've prayed. You've asked people to pray. You've asked your friends to pray. But what a great day it was when you got all those things taken care of. The doctors took care of you. The medicines cured you. But I want to tell you something. That's good on the outside. But Jesus is more than just something physical. Jesus takes care of our, our spirits. And I want to tell you tonight, it's important we understand that we, we need Jesus for good health. But we need Jesus for our spiritual health. Listen, if our spiritual health is declining and our spiritual health is not good, what good is good physical health if we're not doing good spiritually for God? The nine wanted Jesus for what they could get out of him. We get that all the time. Doorbell rings at church. Can you give me 40 bucks? Give me 20 bucks? Give me a cab drive? Can do this? Can do this? Do that? 
We vet them out. We realize they're just doing that from every church they go to. They want a Jesus that gives them what they want. This man, he wanted Jesus for the rest of his life. He wanted Jesus for the rest of his life. He's called a stranger because he said, you know what? Maybe no one else is going to do this. And maybe no other Samaritan will do it. But I'm going to do it because I've recognized what Jesus Christ has done in my life there. Thy faith has made thee whole. He was whole spirit, soul, and body. Listen, this one man was transformed. Listen to this tonight. Jesus should be more to us than a God who pampers us. Jesus should be more to us than someone that we fulfill our one hour a week with. Jesus should be more to us than somebody you go to when you have an emergency. If all Jesus is, is someone you go to in an emergency, God help our soul. Amen? We're incomplete if we're not thankful. We're spiritually sick if we're not thankful. Instead of being thankful, we probably tend more in the end of being more cynical, more complaining, more comparing, more grumbling. This man was transformed. See, a thankful person's in the will of God. A thankful person's a joy to be around. A thankful person honors Jesus. A thankful person is not just a good servant, they're a great servant. A thankful person is a person of good character. A thankful person's a blessing and not a grief. A thankful person embodies a good husband, a good wife. A thankful person embodies a good father and a good mother. A thankful person embodies a good son and daughter. By the way, may I just say to young people tonight, regardless of your age, did you tell your parents thank you? You say, thank you, Mom, thank you, Dad, for what you've done. Or you wait till they're dead and they're in the casket, and that's when you tell them thank you? That's too late. That's too late. A thankful person, out of his mouth is the law of kindness. A thankful person's a rare commodity. One out of ten. <laughs> kind of like the tithe. One out of ten. A thankful person walks in spirit. Now, we're in one of two groups. There's no middle ground. We're in one of two groups tonight. We're in the category of the minority of this stranger. We turn back and give glory to God loudly and praise Him. Or we're part of the nine that went their way, never came back. Were there not ten? Were the nine? Were there not ten? Were the nine? We try so hard in church with children and teens, constantly encouraging them, give thanks. Give thanks. Praise the Lord. Someone said, Thanksgiving is only half said until you've done something to show your thankfulness. A missionary who was in the country of India was going through the innermost parts of the country. As he did so, he He was going through a city he had not been through before. He saw a man sitting on the side of the road. He stopped and looked at that man, gave him a gospel track, and started talking to that man about the Lord. So the man was very interested, and the missionary just looked at his watch and said, You know what? I'm just going to stop everything I'm doing. I'm going to spend some time. I might not see this man again. And even though the missionary was well-dressed, he sat down in the dirt, sat next to that man on the road. He talked to that man for a long time about Jesus. One thing good about the foreign field uh, when you go there is just you have to realize you've got to take off your watch because they don't know much about the Lord, about the Bible, about Jesus. You have to spend some time with them. You just can't, you can't go to the 20-minute Romans road. That doesn't work in foreign countries. They, you need to start them in Genesis, and you wind up going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But it was starting to get dark. 
Sun was setting. He had to travel on. The man had several Bibles in his backpack that he had, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to give this man some pages from the Gospel of John. He took one of the Bibles out, and he carefully tore pages of the Gospel of John out that contained the Gospel plan of salvation. Gave the story about the new birth. John chapter 1, John chapter 2, John chapter 3, John chapter 4, John chapter 5. He gave it to that man because of the man's language. That man who sat by the side of the road, he received it and kind of just like this, he looked at it and just with a hungry heart and a hungry eyes, he started reading it. He said goodbye to the missionary and the missionary said goodbye to him. That man sat there all night with what little light he could. He read through every one of those pages and he found out about a Jesus he didn't know about until that day. That man got saved, put his faith in Jesus. The sun started to come up that morning. The man's heart was filled with praise and thanksgiving. He didn't know what happened to him, but he knew something happened to him. And he thought, you know what, I've got to find this missionary. I've got to find this man who stopped by here to help me. And he started thinking about what he could do. And he thought, you know what, I'm good with my hands and I make things. And I'll make a, I'll make a pair of moccasin shoes for this man. I'll make a pair of these some, some shoes I could make. And so he looked at the dirt where this man had walked, and the footprints were still there because nobody else had traveled by there. And so this man went there, and he measured the footprints very carefully there, and he followed all the footprints, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he made, made a copy of it, and he, he did so. He made some shoes exactly of the shoe size of that missioner who had been there. That Indian man started looking up where that missionary went. And he walked, listen to this, he walked 200 miles to bring those pair of shoes to that missionary as an expression of thanks. 200 miles. I thought about when I've been in foreign countries, people who've traveled some distance come, they heard it, come hear us preach, and, and God changed their lives, and they give us a gift. Man, I, I, I treat that with, like a treasure because they come from very far, and some of them don't have anything. I mean, they're giving their best. I was in the home of a pastor in the Philippines where it was on the side of the road. It was a very, very, just very humble home. And um, when they prepared lunch for me and the preachers that were there, I mean, they gave their best. They went to the little farm outside there. They killed the chicken right there while we were waiting and cooked the chicken. and things. I mean, it, just, it was a very humbling experience there. But this Indian man, he walked 200 miles to find this missionary, give him a pair of shoes, to show an expression of thanks. Now, here's my question as we close tonight. How far would you go to tell somebody thank you? How far would you go? How long would you travel? How long would it take you to go out there and tell somebody thank you for what you've done? There were ten. Were there not ten? Where are the nine? Only one came back. They're not found that return to give glory to God. Same as a stranger. Would you be part of that minority with me? Have a heart of thanksgiving? To fall on your face and give glory to God and thank Him for His goodness. Thank Him for your salvation. Thank Him for all His provisions. Thank Him for what you don't have. Thank Him for the trials you have. Thank Him for the difficulties. Thank Him for trusting you with what He's given to you. Just thank Him tonight. Praise Him. Because to have anything other than a thankful heart is a sin before God. Were there not ten? Where are the nine?